There's probably not another doctrine that we're going to talk about today more dividing, more defining than what we're going to preach on today in John chapter 1 and verse 14. Well, you see, something unique happened in the birth. We celebrate Christmas. We, we celebrate the birth of Christ. And certainly we understand he came as a baby. But he was and is God in flesh. Jesus Christ is the second person of the Godhead who willfully came as a baby and walked this earth as a man for 33 and a half years. But while he was walking on this earth, he was very much God. And he was 100% man. Now, someone says, explain that. I can't. That's a cool thing about faith. I don't have to explain faith. But I'm going to do my best this morning to convince you and us that the incarnation of Christ, that God walking as flesh is a Bible doctrine that is definitely important and essential that we believe. But not only that we believe, but that we live our lives in light of the fact of who he was and who he is. For you understand, if we're wrong on Jesus, we're wrong on everything else. Verse 1 of chapter 1 starts off, John does not start with the birth of Christ. It's amazing. You go to Luke, and you get a wonderful, we read Luke 2 every Christmas. And you get a wonderful picture of the birth of Christ, of his beginning here on earth. But John starts at another beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What he's talking about is the pre-incarnation of Christ. In other words, God, Jesus existed as the Word of God in the beginning of all beginnings. I hate to even use the term in the beginning of the world because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have no beginning, nor do they have any ending. Their eternality, and you understand, religions discuss eternality usually one of two ways. One is a linear eternality, meaning there, it, there's not a beginning point, there's not an ending point, and it's a straight line. Some mention the eternality as a circle they call reincarnation, and it just keeps cycling and cycling and cycling. Here's my point this morning. We must believe John 1, 1, and I do, praise Jesus. But jump, look, jump down to verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, I believe John, when he penned those words, in his mind was a flood of memories of seeing God to seeing Jesus. Now, we understand God and Jesus are the same in this context. So I'll be using that word. I'm not trying to defend your view on Jesus Christ, but let me say this. He said, we saw him. We saw him in the flesh. We saw Jesus walk on this globe. We saw him living with us. We ate lunch with him. We had, we had with five loaves and two fishes, he fed a crowd. We saw him. Could you imagine seeing Jesus personally, physically, 
in the flesh. I believe when John wrote verse 14, he had no greater message that he could communicate. He's saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let's pray. Father, bless this time together. Thank you for your goodness and for this truth that makes a difference in all that we say and do. For to your name we pray. Amen. As I said, you can talk about just about any, you can talk about God anytime you want to in any congregation you want to, any group you want to. But when you mention Jesus Christ, that's where the differences become. And I want to point out to you, there are false views about Jesus. And if you, I'm not trying to get you to study false religions. That's not my point. Kind of like the teller at the bank. You know, the best practice for a teller at the bank is only handle real money. And then when something comes along that's not real, they tend to catch it because they're used to handling only the real. Listen, we're so busy here preaching the real Jesus Christ, we don't hardly have a lot of time to tell you about the false views of Jesus Christ. So please understand, but bear with me just a moment because those of you, how many of you have ever, ever talked to someone who is Buddhist? I have, okay? Well, the Buddhists believe that in the rebirth doctrine, sometimes referred to as reincarnation or transmigration, and asserts that, and to get this, rebirth takes place in one of six realms of samsara, the realms of gods, demigods, humans, the animal realm, the ghost realm, and the hell realms. In other words, reincarnation happens in every realm of existence. And an avatar, you recognize that? is the Hindu's belief in the incarnation of deity in a human or an animal form to counteract an evil in the world. Now, I could go on to more details, but you understand that is their view. Therefore, they, don't, um, they do not believe that Jesus is God no more than he, they believe that you or I could come back reincarnated as someone like Jesus himself. That's what they believe. The Jewish view, of course, is that they do not accept that Jesus was God. And this challenger basically believes that God is one. And, he, and, and the, the law says, you shall have no other gods before me. And they also know that if they believe in Jesus Christ, they have to accept that the Messiah has in fact come. Therefore, they reject the idea of Jesus completely. The Mormon view. How many have ever met a Mormon? All right, the Mormon, according to Mormon doctrine, Jesus, all human beings, all angels, and Lucifer, and the demons were all spirit children of her heavenly father and heavenly mother. The relation of the Holy Ghost, their preferred term of the Holy Spirit, to this heavenly family is generally unstated. Jesus Christ was, before becoming immortal on man, uh, uh, mortal on earth, Heavenly Father's firstborn spirit son and was known as Jehovah while Heavenly Father was known as Elohim. That's what, is that mixed up? That's not what we believe, is it? You say, David, why you do that? I'm not trying to cause enemies this morning. I'm just simply trying to help you understand why I believe the Bible. And the Islam view is, did you know the, the fastest going religion in the world is Islam. And they believe, sees Jesus as human, sent as the last prophet of Israel to Jews with the gospel scripture, affirming but modifying the Mosaic law. They completely reject the doctrine of the incarnation. 
And it's also known, they see that, uh, that all other gods are nothing in the eye, other than Allah. In the eyes of the Muslim, who, whoever acknowledges the existence of other gods besides Allah is a blasphemer. But that is the fastest growing religion in the world. As a matter of fact, the major religious groups in the world, Christianity uh, has 31.2%, Islam 24.1%. Now, folks, listen to me. When I'm preaching about the incarnation of Christ and Christ bringing on, putting on a human form in flesh, that's an important doctrine. Would you not agree? Now, let me say this. What it means to me and you is simply this, that we must believe that too, and we must be willing to testify to it, and we must ask him to come in our heart and say this, because that's the only way we'll see, see uh, uh, heaven. Verse four, verses 1 14 does, in fact, say that he was made flesh. The same word, the word sarx, is the same word Paul uses to describe man's nature with weakness and temptation. Galatians 6, 8. I'm going to ask the guys to help me put these verses up because it'll take a while to turn there. For he that soweth to the flesh shall the flesh reap, reap what? Corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall reap life ever what? Everlasting. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. In your flesh, in your flesh, you will die and go to hell. You will not make it to heaven. Do you understand there has to be a spiritual renewal, a spiritual birth, rebirth that takes place so that you too have the Spirit of God living inside you that has eternal life. Without that, you say, well, David, I kind of like living in the flesh. That's the problem. You cannot live in the flesh and know God. First of all, he was made flesh. But then notice it said, and we beheld. Notice what it says there in verse 14. And we beheld his glory. The Greek word means beheld actually means seen with the human eye. It's used 20 times in the New Testament. And here's what he's saying. We beheld him. We saw him. John is saying, I told you. John's saying, I actually saw God in flesh. When he was walking, I saw him. When he was talking, I saw him. We beheld him with our eyes. Now, let me say this. When you see something with your eye, an eyewitness testimony is one of the strongest defenses for a proof, for a fact in a court of law. And John is saying, look, we saw it. We saw him. We saw it in him. And so he's saying, John and others saw the word of God made flesh. We have the testimony. Now, I'm telling you, that's important, that we have the testimony of God in flesh. And then notice, why would Jesus become man? Why would he do that? I mean, I, honestly, why would the God of heaven, why would Jesus, the second person of the, of the Trinity, why would he choose to become flesh? How many of you have uh, had problems in, while you're living? Uh, some of you didn't raise your hand. That's wonderful. I'd love to live your life. How many of you say, Brother David, I have some aches and pains as I've gotten older that I didn't have when I was younger? So living in this body is not always fun and games, is it? Can you believe, can you imagine what Jesus had to do? Now, it was established before the foundation of the world. I understand that. But we've got to look at it from his standpoint. Why would he do such a thing? Well, first of all, now this is, this is just, I think, to correct and counteract the corruption of flesh. Do you understand your flesh and my flesh will do wrong? 
And you know, without Jesus coming and walking this earth, there would be no hope for flesh for humans on this earth to live any other way than according to the flesh unless Jesus showed them it could be done. Unless Jesus lived a sinless life on this earth and lived it in front of others so they could see it, there's no proof that he was God in the flesh. 2 Peter 1.4 says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Boy, this is a precious promise. That by these ye might be partakers of a what? Divine nature. How many of you know that you have a sin nature? If you don't think so, just ask the person sitting next to you, do I misbehave? And when you, when you misbehave, when you do wrong, that's your sin nature acting sinful. But what happens is we have a promise that we might be partakers of a divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, For as much as ye know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition after your fathers. Basically, what you've done so far hasn't saved you, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Verse 23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is a flower of grass. The grass withereth the flower thereof falleth away but the word of God endureth forever and this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you listen to me Jesus came so that you can know you can in the flesh have a divine nature and live differently than this world and the fact that he became flesh the second Godhead, second part of the Godhead the fact that he became flesh tells us that you can have a, a divine nature. Boy, that's a wonderful promise today and a wonderful precious. Number two, to correct and counteract the dishonor of flesh. You understand that you can bring dishonor to yourself and to others when you act fleshly. Have you ever, missed, have you ever done, a, done something that you were embarrassed about? But maybe not you only, maybe your family. Have you ever dishonored your family? I remember my dad was a preacher. I'm a PK. And that's part of my problem. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm a PK. That's just part of my problem. Um, but I remember my mom used to say, now remember, your dad's a preacher. Now, why did she say that right before I got ready to go out? Because she wanted to remind me that I could dishonor through the flesh those who love me and had taught me better. There is dishonor in the flesh. But, God, but Jesus said, by becoming flesh, he came to correct and counteract. For I, verse, verse Romans 7, 18, for I know that in me, this is Paul, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Some of us need to learn that. Some of us need to learn that in your flesh dwelleth no good thing. Somebody says, I would love to give them a piece of, a, of my mind. Save it. You don't have enough as it is. You don't need to be giving somebody a piece of your mind. You don't, that's getting in the flesh. Someone said, I, I got in the flesh. That means you sinned. That's all that means. That means you did wrong. Because there's no good thing in the flesh. For the will is present with me, but to how to perform that which is good, I find not. I can't do it on my own, he says. Romans 8 verses 5 and 6 says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. That's, let me say this. I expect lost people to act like lost people. Someone said, oh, they're doing sin. Well, they're lost. That's what they do. Let me say this. What about you Christians? Do you struggle with sin too? 
you've got that sin nature still, don't you? You fight it. The old Indian said, I got a white dog and a black dog, and they're fighting. Which one wins? The one I say sick them to. I'm telling you, whoever you give the most attention, you just don't, don't think for one minute you're any better than a person that's lost who's sinning according to their sinful nature. You still have that sin nature, but you have a divine nature as well, and God's trying to help you balance and deal, deal with that, that sin nature. But there is that in there that we can bring dishonor to ourselves. And he goes on and he says, but they that are after the spirit of the... Uh, the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit moves in, it, it, it should eradicate your desire to live carnally. Now, let me say this. You can't just, I say eradicate means your desire, but you still struggle with doing right. You do. Uh, I've seen some of you. Uh, verses, verse 5, verse 8, some of me too. Verse 8 and 10. But God commended his love toward us. Isn't that wonderful? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being justified by his blood, shall we be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Let me tell you something. God wants us to bring glory through our lives. You know, did you know that even with your sin nature and with that divine nature, once you know Jesus Christ, your savior, you can by your flesh, in your life, not through your flesh, but while you're living, bring glory to God. Isn't that wonderful? That I was a vessel of dishonor, but once Jesus comes into my heart, I become a vessel of honor. When you think about it, you, once you had a life, wasn't worth living hardly. But once Jesus came into your heart and life, you changed. You became a new creation, and now you can live and bring glory and honor to him. Oh, I want to bring honor to Jesus. I want to bring honor to him. I struggle just like you do. But let me say this, God, Jesus came and walked in flesh so that we could have this, uh, this opportunity of honor. And then to correct and counteract the weakness of flesh. You know, your flesh is weak. You fall to temptation more than you succeed with temptation. I guarantee you. If you're tempted, you fail, don't you? Don't you struggle with it? Look at what he, what he said uh, the weakness. Verse Romans 8, 3 says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak, through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. Notice that he wants to help us with the weakness of flesh. I know that God knows. You know why I know Jesus knows about the weakness of flesh? Because he walked here on this earth 33 and a half years in flesh as a man. And then number four, to quicken and make alive all those who would trust him. You know that's wonderful that Jesus came as a man, and he wants to quicken or enliven us. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 says, For as it written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, that's Jesus, was made a quickening spirit. 1 Peter 3, 18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for us, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Listen, if you're saved today, how many of you say, Brother David, I'm saved? You're saved because the Holy Spirit quickened your dead, your dead soul. The Holy Spirit did that work inside you. And then Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherein he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. 
Jesus Christ is made flesh. Isn't that wonderful to know that Jesus walked this earth as flesh so that he could help us with our flesh and the things that we struggle with. I'm telling you here today that if you live a life that's honorable to God, it'll be through the power of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit living through you. And he living here, that, but here's proof number one. I want you, there are four proofs I'm going to give you about this fact, this fact, the fact I just shared. Proof one, Jesus Christ dwelt visibly among us in verse 14. Notice the word dwelt. The word dwelt there means tabernacled. You may have heard this before. Tabernacled means he pitched a tent. Now, I don't know about you. I don't want to live in a tent full time. Now, I love camping. I used to love it more before the, every rock on the ground caused me problems. There was a day when I could lay out there and it didn't bother me. But now I want, a, I want an air mattress. Anybody else? You know what I'm talking about? But in that tent, it's a temporary dwelling. Did you know Jesus came and walked this globe? He came as a baby, humbly. And he grew. At age 12, he told his mom, don't you know I'm, I must be about my father's business? And he grew, the Bible says, in wisdom and knowledge and favor of God and man. He grew and developed into a man. And at 30 years old, his, he came out to do his, he came forward to do his ministry. And for three and a half years, only three and a half years, he served Jesus. He served, he served his father and he served himself and his purpose for three and a half years. What I'm saying to you is that he dealt, he dwelt, he just pitched his tent for a time. But secondly, he said, it dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Oh. That glory. You know, I don't know if you understand what glory he's talking about there, but let's just talk about it a minute. You know, I, when I think of glory, I think of, 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 uh, of a reputation because of a uh, con consequence, because of something you've accomplished. You know, uh, you get glory for scoring so many points in the basketball game. You get glory for that. That's not the kind of glory we're talking about. Do you remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt? There was something guiding them all the way. He told them the, that that presence of that item showed them where to go, how long to stay, and what to do. As a matter of fact, remind, that, 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 uh, that bright cloud that, led, that guided them, guided them to the Red Sea. It guided them to a place of difficulty, of challenge. And it guided them right on through the wilderness. Do you understand that Shekinah glory? What John is saying, we didn't just see someone who had accomplished something wonderful that deserved to be bragged on. We saw the Shekinah glory in Jesus. The word Shekinah means that which dwells or dwelling. Jesus came to this earth to dwell, tabernacle, just for a time to be with the people that he was serving alongside, those 12 that he called, and he wanted them to see and to sense the Shekinah glory embodied in the flesh of Jesus Christ while he was on this earth. When John said, listen, we saw the glory, uh, we, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. We saw the Shekinah glory of God dwelling with us. Just like that Shekinah glory that after he had guided them and they had built the temple, 
the, the temple and that Shekinah glory came down and filled that temple with the smoke of his presence. Let me tell you something. That's the glory that John said we saw. It wasn't just something cool. It was miraculous, miraculous, and it was godly. And he was saying, I saw in Jesus the Shekinah glory of God. Let me tell you something. I love it when God's hand comes down and the Holy Spirit and his presence comes upon a people. I love it when God says, you know, stand back. I want to show you a few things. And I love it when he says, you know, when he said, I'm just going to let you see just a tad of the glory. Can you imagine the glory we're going to celebrate when we get to heaven? Can you imagine when you finally step foot in that wonderful place that Jesus says he's going to prepare? Can you imagine the glory that you will be seeing and the glory that will be evident to us? Let me tell you something. It was full of grace and truth. It's the very embodiment of God. And he goes on and he said it's full of grace and truth. Grace is all the beauty and loveliness of a person giving himself without expectations. Truth is the embodiment of truth, the communicator of truth, and the liberator of truth. Jesus was all three. He wanted to embody truth, he communicated truth, and he liberated people with truth. He was full of grace and truth. The proof number two that of this fact of his human, uh, of his incarnation is John the Baptist. In verse 15, now we're going to spend a lot more time on John the Baptist next week just to get to know him a little more. But I want you to notice that he said in verse 15, he said, and John bare witness of him and cried saying, this was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me for he was before me. I love those play on words. He said, he that cometh after me. That means that John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. I was born first, Jesus came after me. But he was before me, but he was preferred before me because it says he's mightier and more important in rank and dignity. He's saying he ranks way up here and I rank way down here. Let me ask you this, where do you place Jesus in your life? Does he truly preferred before you? Do you? Look, consider his will in your life before you consider your own? Or do you prefer him over yourself? For he was before me. What that means, the word before me was first to me or first of me, both of time and importance. In other words, he was before me. In time and importance, Jesus was before me. And then the, the third proof is full of God, uh, fullness of grace of Christ given. Look in verse 16 and 17. And of his fullness have we all received and grace for grace. Notice what happens. The fullness of Christ is given to those who believe. John said there is a fullness here. Now, if you understand fullness, uh, how many of you have ever eaten a large meal and you really felt full? Well, that's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about being full of Jesus Christ and for us, full of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's not that you need more of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit needs more of you. You submit to him daily. And you allow the Holy Spirit. You were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But he fills you every day as you continue to give him priority. Full, the fullness means that which filled or the sum total or the totality. Look at Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Notice what he's saying. Jesus had the complete fullness of God. He didn't lack anything from God. 
He was completely full and he wants to fill us. And then grace for grace, meaning grace upon grace. He said, uh, verse 16, and we have received grace for grace. That means grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. I love the grace of God, don't you? Titus 2.11 says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. There's saving grace. I believe that God has grace that he brings to lost people. Here in this service this morning, I believe God is bringing the, the grace of salvation to everyone here if you accept him. Acts 15.11 says, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Romans 3, 24, 23 and 24 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For the grace of, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let me tell you something. I'm so glad I have the grace of God upon grace, just stacked upon it. There's plenty of grace to go around. You'll never, you'll never exhaust it. There'll never be a time when grace is not available. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. How many of you can say, I know what that saving grace is this morning. Would you say amen with me? Amen. amen. I'm so glad I'm saved today. And it's by the grace of God, wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. I'm telling you, grace, grace, God's grace. I'm telling you, God's grace is wonderful this morning, isn't it? And that's a proof of who he is. Proof number four is Jesus Christ, God's son. No man hath seen God. Look in verse 18. <clears throat> for the law, uh, verse 17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. Now get that straight in your mind. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Now you understand God the Father, God the Son are two, God the Holy Spirit are two, God the Father, God the Son are two of the Godhead. You remember on the cross when Jesus, one of the seven statements he made on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was a moment when Jesus and God, when God turned his back on his son, bearing your sin and my sin, that was a time when God, when Jesus was no longer in the bosom of the Father at that moment. And by the way, I believe that's the cup that Jesus prayed in the garden, let this cup pass from me, not my will, but thine be done. Oh, he knew he was going to be tortured. He knew he was going to be beaten. And we look at those stripes, by his stripes we were healed. Isaiah 53 tells us about that. We knew that was going to happen. But what we really didn't understand, what we still don't grasp, is the closeness of God the Father and God the Son. The Bible says right here that Jesus is in the bosom of the Father. What that means, that's the most intimate relationship that is possible in existence is relationship between Jesus the Son and God the Father. And he said, no man see him, but Jesus himself came from that most intimate place. Let me say this, John saw that. John saw that in Jesus, that Jesus and God the Father were both so intimately connected that there's no way he was not 
Jesus, God in the flesh. Let me ask you something. Is he God in the flesh for you? Do you know for sure that you have Jesus Christ in your heart? Philippians 2, 5 and 8 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of the servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. Do you know why he paid, paid that death on the cross? It's for you and me. It's for what we have brought on him. It's for our lives. Colossians 2.9 says, once again, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of Godhead bodily. 1 John 4, 2 and 3. Now, this is very, very important. Because I don't know where you stand on the belief of Jesus being uh, all man and all God, but it's a miraculous uh, and it's a, it's a necessary, vital doctrine of Scripture that you understand. Verse, 1 John 4, 2 and 3 says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. That's pretty simple, isn't it? If you believe, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that spirit is of God. Look in verse two, 3. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Now that's enough to say right there, but it goes further. And this is that spirit of whom? The Antichrist, whereof they have heard it should come, and even now already is in the world. I just told you today that Islam denies this doctrine, the incarnation of Christ. I just told you that the Mormons deny it. I've just told you that the Buddhists deny it. And we could keep right on going with false religion. Say, David, why are you doing this? Because I want you to know that the test, the litmus test, one of the tests that you can give for any religion is this God doctrine of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that if they do not believe in the incarnation that Jesus was born in the flesh, the Bible says they are of the spirit of the Antichrist. Now we need to be afraid, we are not afraid, concerned, church, that we're not doing our part to get the spirit of truth into the lives of others. So that they can know who this Jesus is. Now let me just go a bit further and I want to apply this in just a moment. And we're headed, to, we're headed to our invitation. Number one, how many would say, Brother David, I believe that, but I have not applied it to my heart. For you see, a truth is only good as it's applied to your life. Have you acknowledged Jesus as the Lord and God and the Savior of your life? Have you asked him into your heart? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sin? If you haven't, then basically what you're doing is you're living as though he really isn't God, that he really was not who he said he was. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, then you have a spirit that is not what God wants us to have. You don't have a spirit of understanding the importance of Jesus becoming flesh. And I want you to know today that it, this is a doctrine that all of us must believe. This is something we must all put into the test of our own life. Have we accepted Jesus as the word of God incarnate in our life? Is he ruling your life? Have you seen it? Have you been around him? Do you know him personally today? That's my question. Let's all bow our heads, please, as our musicians prepare.